Today's episode of The Beat is brought to you by Game Time. Okay, folks, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think Michigan and Michigan State tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? You can find out the answer with Game Time, the ticket-buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue. It can save you some serious cash. Game Time is the leader in last-minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting, and buy a ticket in two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So download Game Time in the App Store or Google Play, work that clock to your advantage, and score some last-minute tickets. Welcome back to another episode of The Beat with yours truly, Nick Baumgartner, here in Ann Arbor with Brendan Quinn, and we've got another guest this week. Probably the best one we've had yet. Probably is no the best one. No disrespect to the other folks. No disrespect Jesus. to the others. But this is this is a legend of, of football, uh, both on the field, in the booth, everything else. Uh, we've got Dan Deardorff here with us. Uh, Dan, how's it going? Gentlemen, I am very well, and you? Doing awesome. We're excited about this one. This is one uh, when we started the show and we, we thought about guests that we could have. Dan was toward the top of the list uh, for a number of reasons. Just because more than anything else, uh, Dan, you've been in football your entire life uh, at, at like the highest level. You're in the Pro Football Hall of Fame as a player. I think you're in the Hall of Fame as a broadcaster. You've done everything you can do in the game and you're still involved in it uh, and you're still doing great work. I mean... Why not just retire and go land the beach somewhere, Dan? Why? Why is football <laughs> something that you can't just get get away from? Yeah, I'm I'm trying to live my entire life without ever having a real job. There you go. And I've uh, I've made it this far, so I can't complain. No, to tell you the truth, when uh, I retired from doing network television uh, after the 2013 season, that was that was 30 years uh, mm-hmm. for me doing network TV and. I had no intention of ever walking into a broadcast booth uh, ever again. And then uh, Dave Brandon called me, and mm-hmm. I just I, Dave and I talked all the time, and I just assumed he was calling to tell me uh, congrats on your career and whatnot, and it, which is how he started. Yeah. And then he goes, uh, he segues over into, and you're uh, going to do Michigan football on radio. <laughs> And I said, uh, no, I'm not. And he goes, oh, yes, you are. And I said, Dave, you, you, already, you already have a broadcast team. At the time, I, I had no idea that yeah. Frank Beckman was retiring. Mm-hmm. And so he informs me that Beckman is retiring. And he goes, I'm going to browbeat you into this. And he, he did. Impressive. I'm sure among all the amazing things that you've uh, lent your voice to from Super Bowls to amazing games left and right. This podcast has to be up there, right? Then, it's a, you know, I, I knew this was headed. I knew this was headed someplace bad. Well, go ahead. I, I I saw you say at one point that uh, back in the day, I guess when you were still calling a uh, Monday Night Football, that your whole life from uh, age twenty one going into the NFL. 
to you know well into your 40s and beyond that you you had it right you were making more money after every year your career was just always on the the rise you were at your peak um as a professional broadcaster instead of a hall of fame player um it, it does seem like you would have every right to to have told dave to piss off and say <laughs> no i'm retiring like why why'd you have to do it <laughs> well you know the funny thing is is that uh it you know, I, I'm. You know, I think bucket list is a little mm-hmm. overused. But one of the things that I always wanted to do, and I used to talk to Brandstetter about it, that uh, sometime uh, it would be possible if I would, uh, if I was at a Michigan game, could I come up to the booth yeah. and could I just sit in and put a headset on for a series, just so I could say that I actually called a game uh, or worked a game in Michigan Stadium. Uh, when the Wolverines were playing, and uh, it was just a dream of mine. It was, it was just something that I always, uh, uh, I, just in the back of my mind, I just, I always wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's it certainly, I bit off a little more than that. But I, let me tell you something. Uh, I, I was involved uh, in the National Football League for 43 consecutive years. Right. Uh, and I mean every year for 43. I was in an NFL stadium every Sunday. I never did a studio show. I never uh, did anything like that. I, 13 years as a player, I transitioned immediately into broadcasting uh, in a stadium. And, and over those 43 years, let me tell you something that I had forgotten. I had forgotten how wonderful it is to be on a college campus mm. on a football Saturday. Uh, everything is different. I know the game itself, once they kick off, uh, bears a lot of similarities to what goes on in the NFL. But everything else, I have forgotten how exciting and how enjoyable and how uplifting it could be to be on a college campus, especially the University of Michigan's campus, on a Saturday afternoon. Well, I want to stick with with Michigan for a second here before we get into your NFL career. So you were you were uh, obviously part of uh, maybe Michigan's most famous team, the, the 1969 team with, with Bo Schembechler's first year. Uh, those stories have all been told pretty thoroughly, but uh, entertain us here for a second. Um, because for a guy who's still around, Dan, I mean, you're still around, you, you're around the program now more than you were in the past, obviously, but you paid attention. But is it ever weird for you to hear that team that you played on, that for you, I'm sure it was just part of your, just you and your friends playing football in some ways. Is it ever weird to hear people talk about that with so much reverence in terms of this? Is, that was the team that sort of started this whole you know movement towards what the program kind of is. Well, yeah, it, it, it's because you know everybody goes, boy, you guys must have known mm-hmm. uh, what was happening, and and that's you know when you're 18, 19, 20 years old, you're you're living in the moment and. Uh, especially that first year that we were all playing for Bo Schembechler, uh, we were just trying to survive. Yeah, we were. We I just wanted to make it from Tuesday to Wednesday, and then from Wednesday to Thursday. I <laughs> I got to tell you, I spent zero seconds sitting around wondering about the his, historical context yeah. that people are <laughs> one day going to apply to the 1969 season. So yeah. no, we weren't. Uh, we, we just knew that, uh, hey, we knew we were a good team, mm-hmm. and we knew we had talent, but we were just uh, 
you know, talk about living in the moment. That's exactly what we were doing. With with that era of football, um, you know, some things change, some things stay the same. And obviously, you are one of the great offensive linemen that's uh, that's ever played. What what is what is different about today's offensive line play, other than maybe guys are bigger? Uh, across the board, but what's different uh, about when you did it as opposed to maybe how it is how it is today? Well, yeah, it's vast. Offensive line play mm-hmm. is vastly different. It's a uh, it's a game now that's played uh, uh, using your hands. Yeah, uh, we weren't allowed we weren't allowed to do anything even close to that. We we spent uh, most of the game. Uh, striking our opponent with the uh, crown of our helmet or our yeah. shoulder pads. <laughs> right. we, you couldn't. Uh, you couldn't use your hands. As a matter of fact, you had to. You had to keep your your hands closed uh, like a fist. You yeah. couldn't even have an open hand and put it even anywhere on the body of your opponent uh, without getting a holding call. So it was. It was a pulling game, a trapping game, mm-hmm. uh, a drive blocking game. But I'm talking about a drive-blocking game where you came off the ball low, getting underneath the guy across from you, and driving him off the ball. It uh, it, it doesn't. It's kind of unrecognizable compared to what they're doing now. But but in some ways though, isn't it? Isn't a lot of it? Obviously, the techniques are different, right? But the game itself, with all the different stuff now, you see different formations and and things of that nature. But the game itself, when you watch it on Saturday, there's so much of it that's still. It's still football, right? I mean, it's still just, it's not as complicated sometimes as we make it out to be. Uh, you know, I'm having the 50-year anniversary yeah. of this November of our 1969 yeah. team, as hard as that is to comprehend. <laughs> yeah. And I can just tell you in the last 50 years, the techniques have changed, the rules have changed, uh, it's more of a passing game now. You all, you, you know this, it's, yeah. it's, it's very obvious. What has never changed, and I can't imagine ever will change, is that the game is still won and lost on the line of scrimmage. Right. If if you control the line of scrimmage, nine times out of ten, barring you know throwing a couple pick sixes or having a punt or a kickoff return for touch, if you control the line of scrimmage, you're going to win the football game. Right. And I can't imagine the game will ever transition away from that I, I don't think that'll ever change it's funny hearing you talk about technique because I watched as many old clips as I, I could of you and you know, I'm, I'm looking at you and many times you're just torpedoing your head <laughs> into guys chest and I'm thinking you know this man was just a lunatic but you're saying <laughs> that that was really your one of your few options you had well yeah it's the way we were taught yeah. I mean we came off the ball low and you did. You got. You you got. It was all about pad level, and uh, I I always thought there wasn't anybody that that I couldn't get lower than they did and drive them off the ball. And you're right. A, a lot of times, the very first thing that made contact uh, with the defensive lineman across from me was the uh, top of my helmet, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, it was uh, it was the way we played the game back then. Uh, and college football was uh, uh, a, a lot more orchestrated in terms of uh, uh, 
we didn't run as many plays, yeah. and, and, and we ran the same ones over and over and over. Uh, when I got to the NFL and played in the 70s, uh, it was the wild, wild west. Mm. It was uh, <laughs> it, it, it was a game that was played where you could hit anybody, anywhere, wow. anytime, as long wow. as the whistle had blown. Yeah. Wow. You, you could ear hole a guy 45 <laughs> yards away from where the ball carrier was, as long as the whistle hadn't blown. Wow. And, you know, there was a lot of that going on. We were, it was a crazy game when I played. I read that uh, Jack Youngblood was the only DN to have your number. A, is that true? And B, what did he do? Well, I, I didn't. Well, first of all, Jack and I, Jack and I are friends, yeah. and we played in the college. He actually paid me to ask that together. question. Yeah. <laughs> what do you? <laughs> I said he actually paid me to ask that question. Yeah, I'm sure he did. I'm sure he did. Uh, you know, you know, I asked him how many sacks he got off. Yeah, you there know, you go. Uh, now, I I did not like playing against Jack for one reason. Uh, uh, I was a uh, I was a physical player. I wanted I wanted to uh, maul it out, and I wanted to uh, uh, play somebody that was willing to try to challenge me uh, physically. And Jack would never do that. Jack was a smaller defensive end, and uh, Jack thought it was funny to try to run around me. <laughs> and uh, I thought chasing Jack was uh, was the hardest thing I ever did. So, uh, but we're, to this day, we're still great friends. Hmm. But yeah, he was a pain in my ass. <laughs> <laughs> when, when Dan, you know, when did you start thinking about uh, playing pro football? Because I know a lot of guys back in uh, in your era of college football with the NFL the way it was. Uh, it's not like what it was today. I, I, some guys go into college oh. and they didn't think about it. When did you start thinking about playing pro ball? Uh, probably my. It wasn't until my junior, at the end of maybe yeah. my junior year, where you know I I made I was all Big Ten and and I realized that. Uh, you know that I was a pretty good player, and that's when it first crosses your mind. I, yeah, it, it's you get these, uh, you see these kids today mm-hmm. in the eighth grade, yeah. uh, talking about uh, uh, when their uh, when their time comes in the NFL, and <laughs> and then they go through the recruiting process, and they uh, they make a college coach sit in their living room, and they go, well, what 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 can you do to get me ready for the NFL? I. I that's crazy talk. Yeah. It's just when I see kids, I I just want to grab them all and shake them and go, you know, try to just try to just imagine yourself making the team and getting to play and starting a college game. Right. Uh, to to sit there as a senior in high school and talk about going to the NFL, it's just foolish. And uh, it. it yeah, for some it works out, but the the number of guys who actually make a living playing pro football, and I'm I'm not talking about somebody that hangs around on a practice squad yeah. for one year. I'm talking about someone who makes a career out of it, who plays five, six, seven, eight years. Uh, the odds of of you doing that uh, as you're sitting around as a freshman in high school, the odds of you being one of those guys doing that are infinitesimal. Mm-hmm. I'm curious. You were you had options, obviously. You know, back then it was go into the workforce or, or do whatever it may be. But I'm curious. Uh, I know you were a high level high school wrestler, who I think you had some scholarship offers for wrestling. 
in an alternate world, what if you had gone into professional wrestling instead, oh, of, here we go. <laughs> instead of professional that football? Would, that we are really entering an alternate universe now. Yeah. You're right. I did have, uh, I did, I was a good uh, high school wrestler, um, and I had some scholarship offers. I also was a, uh, I also was a good uh, uh, shot put uh, guy. I, I had the farthest throw in the state of Ohio. Uh, my senior year, and uh, a I had offers uh, for track. Now, now wow. let me tell you, I always thought that would be the most boring existence of all time. Just <laughs> running over around there practicing the shot put <laughs> for the rest of my life. In terms of wrestling, uh, I had really, uh, you know, maybe there was something wrong with me, but I really had no desire to go to college and spend four years with my face in somebody else's armpit. Yeah, right. I, just did, I did not find that overly enticing. So uh, uh, football was it for me. Now, speaking of, before we go on to your time in the NFL, i got to ask this one because in like 2016, I think it was, Ric Flair came to campus and did the thing with Jim Harbaugh uh, right. and signing of the Stars. And he, he right. said something at his, at his uh, address to the crowd that in like 67, 68, he was in Ann Arbor, lived with you and Jim Mandich. This is what he said. And Ric Flair has told some tales <laughs> before. I've never asked you about this. Did did this actually happen? Did Ric Flair live with you and Jim Mandich for like a week? And if so, how awesome was that? Live with us. He he came he came to Ann Arbor on a recruiting trip. Okay. Okay. And and uh, you know when a, when you come in on a recruiting trip, you're assigned. Uh, you know, a, uh, a one of the kids who's already there yeah. to be your host, to be your guide, uh, to take you for the weekend and and show you a good time. That's what it was. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, he came to town and uh, and for a weekend and and we were his official. Okay. Uh, whatever you want to call us. Did you stay in touch with him at all after he left? Have you Pardon ever, me. Have you ever talked? Have you stayed in touch with him? Are you guys? Well, I've no? talked to him a couple of times. Have you? Of course, you know, his name wasn't Ric Flair then. <laughs> yeah, right. it, it, you know, it's not like he was famous. Yeah. And I'm going, oh, man, this is the, the, world this is the greatest high school senior I've ever been <laughs> yeah. hanging around. Crazy. I mean, let's be realistic. He was yeah. just another guy. Yeah, right. Yeah, 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 absolutely. The, the real question is, did you show him a good time? Well, I, I, I can only imagine that we did. Yeah. Uh, he ended up going someplace. He else. did, yeah. So it must have been the time of his life. Yeah. So uh, after Michigan, Dan, you go to the NFL, um, and you you talked earlier about you know the league being kind of the Wild West, and I wonder what it was like you know for a guy. I think your first year you started six games out of the twelve. You were you played in all, but I think you started half the season. Um, what what was it like for a young Person entering, you know, truly a man's game that was almost, you know, just like you said, it was it was all over the place. What was what was that experience like? Uh, yeah. Did you look up something and said I started six? Games? I thought I thought it said you did somewhere. But am I wrong? Did you not? Now, or did you start more? Twelve because okay. I missed the first two because I uh, twisted my knee. But uh, no, I uh, well I start uh, once I came back after I started the third game. Okay. And it probably it took me one or two games to get into the lineup. It's funny when you look back at it like that. Uh, my guess is I started 10, but okay. who's going to quibble now? Yeah, you know? right. <laughs> who, who really cares? Right. But, yeah, it, you know, it's uh, 
I, I got to tell you, when I uh, when I went to training camp, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, the Cardinals at the time had a really good offensive line, and and I'm I remember talking to my mom and dad and, and telling them I I'm not I'm not so sure I'm going to make the team. Uh, you know, there was uh, I thought we had a lot of talent, yeah. but uh, again, uh, you know, I wasn't cocky that mm-hmm. uh, both. Boat took that away from me. I sure. I was I was uh, humble and I was just trying to find my way. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Was this was this a time when you guys still needed to basically have a second job? Like, did you have like a non you know NFL job in the summer at this time, or were you past that? Yeah, time? all of, it, all of us did. We all worked. We all worked in the off season. What did uh, you do? Uh, playing football uh, back then was a. Uh, it was a nice living, but it was nothing. It was not uh, uh, sit around the rest of your life and live off of that. Or, it not, you know, my first year, I was, I'll tell you, I was a second-round draft choice mm-hmm. in 1971, and I signed a two-year contract. Uh, uh, I, had a, I got a $25,000 signing bonus and a two-year deal for eighteen and twenty-four thousand dollars. Wow. Yeah. So, what was your yeah, summer wow. job? And then, I think my next couple of years. Well, I, I, let me tell you one quick story. Okay. All right? Please. Uh, about the way money has changed in pro football. Uh, the Rams. I live here in St. Louis, and uh, the Rams were were here for a while, and Orlando Pace was their left tackle. Right, yeah. And uh, Orlando, uh, they franchised Orlando. He was having trouble working out a long-term deal. So for those listeners that aren't, uh, when you're a franchise player, they hold on to your rights, but you're not under contract. So you sign a one-year deal uh, for the average of the five highest-paid guys in the league. So Orlando, uh, he's angry because they're going to franchise him. So he doesn't go to any of the off-season program. He doesn't go to training camp. He doesn't play in any of the preseason games. And he signs the Monday before the season opener. Mm. So he signs uh, uh, a contract uh, for like $7.6 million. (laughs) So he practices and plays in a game. That's six days that week. Because he came in on Monday, he the next week he practices and plays in the game. Now he did not a franchise player doesn't get a signing bonus. You just get a game check. Yeah. In those thirteen days, Orlando Pace made more money than <laughs> I made in my entire thirteen-year career. Oh man, that's wild. On two game checks. Two game checks. Yeah. On t- two game checks, he made more money than I made my entire thirteen-year career. Uh, that's that's how much the game has played. Yeah. I was going to the Pro oh. Bowl making fifty thousand dollars a year. Now I'd be making thirteen or fourteen oh, yeah. million. Oh yeah. You'd be Dan, you'd be rolling in it now. If you were if you were <laughs> if you were in the NFL with your level of consistency. Uh before we get into that, what what'd you do in the summer for those jobs? What'd you do in those Oh in those days? God. Uh I did a number of things. Uh first couple of years I worked uh, uh for a Michigan a great Michigan player. Uh, uh, All-American at Michigan back in the 40s, a guy named Dick Kempthorne. Okay. I, uh, I worked at his car dealership in Canton. 
Uh, I did a uh, I did a variety of things. I had a swimming pool company. Uh, we all did. Guys mm-hmm. were stockbrokers. Uh, we, we, we just none of us. Uh, uh, we all had a profession uh, that we tried to you know that we tried to carve out for ourselves uh, because we didn't have uh, back then. I don't know. This sounds like uh, the dark ages, but uh, there was no off-season program. There were no mini camps. There were, wow. We we came in the day after the season ended. Um, even the assistant coaches went home. Yeah, right. They all went to where they lived. And yeah. We we did not see each other again until the day before training camp started. Wow. Did did you? Were endor- like I mean, endorsements were a thing then. Did you get any endorsements early on? I imagine handsome guy, big, <laughs> beautiful mustache. You had to have been a marketable uh, commodity. You know, you're really you're really pushing the boundaries now. It's a good thing. It's a good thing we're not all in a studio together. Yeah, right. I, I, I might be slapping you around a little bit right now. Uh, the answer to that is. No, there were no endorsements <laughs> to speak of back then. That was if there if there were if there were it was a uh, it, it was a free hot dog at the local <laughs> hot dog stand. So you get in the NFL in '71, then you, you start to develop some consistency, and, and you become a guy who's you know a fixture uh, with the Cardinals. What what about your game? You know, sort of back then, did you feel like was was the best thing you did? What was what was your sort of strong suit? Um, you mentioned, you know, we're talking about Jack Youngblood. He didn't, you know, how many sacks did he give up? He didn't give up many sacks in your career. What was your, what was your strength? Would you say as a player? Well, I learned how to be a pass blocker because uh, we did not do any drop back passing yeah. hmm. uh, at Michigan when I played. Uh, every everything was play action, uh, bootlegs, that kind of thing. I'd never done a conventional uh, drop back pass until I got in the National Football League. So I really had to learn uh, how to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a, I was a run blocker. I was a, uh, uh, that was my strong suit. Right. It was always my strong suit was the run game. Uh, I became a good pass blocker. Um, I played on a line where we, uh, we you know, I, I just did a game where Iowa uh, yeah. gave up eight sacks. Right. Toughness, I would say, is is got to be up there because you, if you go down your your career and you it's it's every season it's you know starts starts every game he's in there every game and then I, I came across one in '77 where you broke your jaw and I think it said you missed two games and that's it did you you broke you had a broken jaw and barely missed any time is that is that correct Yeah, and, and the only reason I missed uh, I, I I I broke my jaw my I, I say I broke my jaw I got cheap shot at. And uh, a guy hit me on the side of the helmet after the play was over. And, yeah, broke my jaw in two places. They wired my jaw shut. And uh, what happened, uh, uh, about five days later, I'm getting ready to play in the game with my jaws wired shut. They, they made a special. 
special helmet for me and a mm-hmm. special face mask. Uh, it turns out that all of a sudden the, the whole side of my face puffs out, and uh, the uh, the collision actually caused uh, one of my wisdom teeth to abscess. Wow! So they had to re-break my jaw, open it oh, back up, God. and remove my wisdom uh, okay. teeth. So I missed that game, and uh, uh, then I then the uh, the infection from the uh, uh, abscessed wisdom tooth actually got into my mandible. Mm. And uh, I had to go in the hospital for five days on uh, heavy-duty antibiotics to get that to go away. So, yeah, yeah that, uh, I hadn't missed a game in a long time, and I missed two because of that. But I actually came back then and played every game to finish out the season. Uh, and in the process of all this, I lost 55 pounds. Wow. Oh, my. Wait, and, but, yeah. and, but you just kept on playing through the season. Yeah, it's, uh, I kept playing. In hindsight, uh, nobody would do that today, I don't think. Uh, yeah. And, and, and who knows, maybe I wouldn't do it. Yeah. Maybe they wouldn't let me do it today. Right. It, was, it was a little different back then. Yeah, I, I had, uh, you have braces on your teeth with mm-hmm. wires on them uh, that, that are wiring your jaw shut. Uh, I had to have uh, an oral surgeon uh, travel with the team because he had to be on the sidelines with clippers because if, uh, if if something would have happened to me, if I'd have got hit the wrong way and, uh, you know, and I would have like thrown up or regurgitated, yeah. I, I would, I would have drowned. So wow. he, he, he had to be in a position to, uh, you know, clip those wires in a hurry and uh, open up my jaw. I look back on it and, yeah, you know, I, I... you know, I get a pat on the back for being a tough guy, but, Maybe not a pat on the back for being the smartest. Guy. <laughs> well, but with that though, obviously, yeah, you, if you had to do it over again, maybe you, maybe you wouldn't. But there's there's a certain level of uh, mental discipline, toughness, whatever you want to call it, that we always talk about. That is very difficult to sort of explain uh, for those who maybe don't have it. Obviously, you're somebody who clearly had it. What what does it? I mean, can you even put into words what it takes to go through? I mean, you, that wasn't the only serious injury you played through. Um, what it takes. To be somebody who can be that reliable in a game that that's demanding. Well, I think it's just uh, I, I think it's just God given in some mm. regards. Yeah. Uh, you can do the work and push yourself and all this and all that, and that's just one part of it. Uh, with me, uh, more than the enjoyment of of winning, for me. It, I just had a terrible fear of failure. Mm -hmm. And the other fear I had was thinking that my teammates, my guys, the guys that had their lockers next to me and the guys who I knew because of how good I was. I mean, I was the captain of the Cardinals for 10 years. And, And with that comes a responsibility if you don't think that some of your teammates are looking at you and taking their cue from how you approach it, well, then you're sadly mistaken. Then you shouldn't be that captain. And I just had this terrible fear of failure, and I had this terrible fear that 
one of my teammates might have looked at me and thought that I wasn't doing every conceivable thing I could do to get out there and to help my team win. Old-fashioned, yeah. I it, it it's just the way I was made. We do see some of that from some guys in current, I mean, like at Michigan, like uh, like a Devin Bush, right? I mean, we, we see guys that kind of have some of that nowadays. I mean, do you, you can still appreciate that, I, I, I assume. Oh, yeah. When you I see that yeah, now, I yeah. Didn't, uh, I, didn't, uh, I, I didn't have uh, the exclusive rights yeah. to that. I, I didn't own it. Right. Um, it, it, it made me go. It, it, it's, what, it's what drove me. Um, I, had a, uh, I had tunnel vision. Yeah, when it was yeah. football season, I didn't think about anything else other than football. Uh, right. Uh, my wife will tell you that, uh, you know, I, I was a different person uh, during football season. Uh, I wasn't that much fun to be around. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you'd be eating dinner on a Thursday night, and uh, instead of really enjoying the meal, I was thinking about two tall Jones. Yeah. <laughs> or I was thinking about uh, how we were going to play uh, George Martin uh, uh-huh. and, and, the, and the New York Giants. And and it just, you know, it's a, it's what it was. Yeah. I can't, uh, I, I make no excuses for it, uh, but I, it, playing football consumed me. Mm-hmm. It was all, all important. Is it true that you and Two Tall Jones never said a word to each other in 10 years on the field? That would be accurate. Wow. Um, <laughs> awesome. That's I, cool. uh, it, it is a, uh, and I, and I really like it. I got, I've gotten to know him yeah. uh, after uh, the fact, but no, we never, because you know what, um, uh, back then, you know, w- we were in the same uh, div- division as the Cowboys. We yeah, yeah. were in the NFC East. So we played the Cowboys twice a year and too tall, uh, two years younger than I, and he came into the league and, and all of a sudden, I'm looking at this guy. I mean, he's six foot nine, and God. and he's scary. Yeah. And I'm going, uh, well, I gotta, I, I, I can't let this, I can't let him think he's got a shot here. Right. Yeah. And, and so, from the very beginning, I, I wasn't very nice to Ed. I, I just, I, I, I really cranked it up a notch or two, and, <laughs> and I wasn't a talker. Yeah. I really, I. I I played next to Conrad Dobler. Yeah. I let him do all the talking. <laughs> yeah. I, didn't to, yeah. I, I didn't really, and Ed wasn't either. Yeah. So it's true. Uh, in ten years, twenty football games, uh, we never said one word to each other. Awesome. And then uh, I announced uh, the, during the season that uh, I was going to retire mm-hmm. at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. So we played our final game with Dallas. And uh, I thought to myself, you know what? <laughs> I, I I have so much respect for for Ed that I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna see if I can find him. And you know this. Let me tell you something about back when we played. Yeah. You know these guys today at the end of the game, yeah, they the go out yeah, yeah. to the middle of the field uh-huh. and have this kumbaya moment <laughs> yeah. where they're all yeah. trading jerseys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. That, that didn't happen when we played. Yeah. We. Did, the guys on the other team. If we'd have met at midfield after a game, it would have been it, it would have been like West Side Story. <laughs> we would have met there for a brawl. Yeah, it's awesome. But so you know, it, it wasn't usual to, to shake hands after a game. So I, I went looking for Too Tall, 
and here he comes walking, and he's actually walking towards me. So after 10 years and 20 games, I stick out my hand, and I say two words to him. I'm quitting. <laughs> and he shakes my hand, and he says two words to me. I'm glad. <laughs> that's amazing. That's amazing. And we went, we went our separate ways. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. You know, it, the, the game was a little different back sure. then. It, it, you know, it's kind of a, a brotherhood in the NFL now because the way players move around and, mm-hmm. you know, you're two years here and then you're two years over here. You know, there was no player movement when I played. Yeah. You know, there was no free agency. You played your whole career for one team. And, uh, you know, over 10, 11, 12 years, you can develop a real dislike for another sure. guy. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Uh, well, we're going to take a quick pause here uh, and then come back on the other side of this break, and we're going to get more in with Dan on uh, on his uh, second career in football, which was his broadcasting uh, career. And so stay tuned with us really quick, and we'll be right back with Dan. Ain't a 